Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, here's a little trickery. And the quarterback flips it in the flat to Jeremiah Hall, who scores. Oh, Lincoln Riley dialed something up. And the Sooners back in the end zone. And we are back. What's up, everybody? This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Matt Hofeld, along with Rich DeCray. Um, your first podcast as a married man, Rich. I know we don't share a crud ton of personal information on these podcasts, but congratulations. Uh, first time I've actually actually talked to you uh, outside of a text message since you're getting married. So um, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Uh, we're not going to dive into details here. So that's it. All right. Well, hey, look, a lot of going on uh, right now as we are ticking ever so closely towards the college football season. The biggest story in Norman right now is not the move to the SEC, although that is a big story. The biggest story is not the opening of fall camp, although that as well is a big story. The biggest story right now is football recruiting particularly the class of 2023, where Oklahoma has the top class in the nation. And, you know, Lincoln Riley's where he wants to be, I think, for 2022. He's competing for a top five class. He's Currently, the Sooners are at number seven for 22. But when you look at the foundation, you've got two five-star recruits on the foundation of this 2023 class. They're both teammates. And there's the potential a third person could be joining in DeAndre Moore, a five-star receiver who continue who plays with uh, Lemon and Mike, Malachi Nelson. Um, I mean, you, you look at this and you, you got the number one tight end in 2023 and Luke Hayes from Bixby, Oklahoma, and Trey on Webb, four-star running backs. Th- those are like the low number guys in this class right now. Th- this is the foundation in my opinion, Rich, this is this would have been a great true or false question, but I'm just going to throw it out here. This is the foundation for the best recruiting class that Lincoln Riley has ever put together. I don't disagree with that statement. And it's largely because, Matt, I feel like we've had so much momentum here in Norman surrounding the football program with what Lincoln Riley has been building, bringing on a guy like Alex Grinch. And you see this this turnaround of the defense and more specifically in the secondary. And all of a sudden, Oklahoma is trending upwards. And it's really hard to do that when you're consistently in the top 10, if not the top five nationally. And I'm not talking about recruiting. I'm talking about the product on the field. Obviously, Oklahoma with some news to the SEC, I think it is going to sway recruits. I think recruits are excited by the possibility of playing in the SEC, but joining a program, the caliber of Oklahoma, more specifically what Oklahoma is fielding on the offensive side of the ball, it seems as though it's an easy conversation to have when you talk about 
putting quarterbacks into the NFL, not just putting them into the NFL, but putting them into starting roles and more so getting them that signing bonus of being the number one overall draft pick. You can even look at a guy like Jalen Hurts, who I don't know that there was a lot of expectation for him in the NFL. And I certainly know that he was not when he was with Alabama was not projected as a second round draft pick. However, Lincoln Riley works a little bit of his magic. And what we end up seeing is this transformation happen. We're seeing receivers being put into the NFL. And now we're seeing some of these defensive backs, these defensive linemen and linebackers who are making a name for themselves and being selected as fringe first round drafts or bumping up into that first round with K nine. And so Matt, what I'm looking at is this upward trend and this trajectory that Oklahoma has been on for what seems like a decade now, even Mm -hmm. though it hasn't been, it seems like it is. And the hype that's surrounding the program is now trickling down to that high school level to where these high school recruits, these top recruits, regardless of position are saying, you know what, the wealth is spreading out. And I want to be a part of what Oklahoma is building and I want to be a part of what a lot of people are predicting and foreseeing as a dynasty in Norman. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned offense. Um, and when you look at this class that Lincoln Riley's building for 2023, you've got the number one tight end in the class, you got the number two quarterback in the class, and then you've got the number three running back in the class. Makai Lemon, the kid who most recently committed to five star. Uh, athlete, he'll play wide receiver. And then you're looking at a guy like Micah Tease, who could stay in state and be a part of this class. He's a four-star rec- receiver. Javante Burns, running back, who's a four-star kid. And then DeAndre Moore, again, a, a kid I've already mentioned, who is a teammate of Lemon and Nelson. And he's a five-star receiver. Lincoln Riley, after really kind of not focusing fully on offense for 2020, 2021, um, I guess 2021, 2022, now he's going full bear again to reload his offense in 2023. Do you feel like, though, all the talk about Caleb Williams, all the talk about Spencer Rattler now being able to be a two-year guy as far as product on the field for Lincoln Riley, does he have this offense in a position where he can recruit it heavily every two years and just reload it through the transfer portal when he has hits and misses or because I, I think that it's a good spot for him to, to really, you look at the defensive push they're making for 2022. You look at the defense defensive push they're, they're making um, they made last year. I, I feel like you don't need it when you're getting in quarterbacks, the caliber of Caleb Williams, you're getting in quarterbacks, the caliber of Spencer Rattler. You don't need to get that kid every year, but if you can get him every other year, Malachi Nelson will be the third kid in six years. And that's seems to be a trend that's working well for Lincoln rally. I wouldn't put it past the Matt going back to the question of the two years. And it is because these are ultra talented individuals who have a solid grasp of not only what they're capable of, but what an offensive coordinator or even just a quarterback's coach is asking them to do. And if, when, when you look at Oklahoma, I think it's very easy. It's very natural to say that, sure, Oklahoma has top quarterbacks year in and year out. And if they're not landing the top quarterback, their name is at least in the hat. I look at DJ out at Clemson. Oklahoma may have had their name in the hat, but realistically, he wasn't coming to Oklahoma because of what was already committed. And knowing that you're going to compete and potentially lose to a guy like a Spencer Rattler, it it just makes sense 
going somewhere else where you can learn the system and then naturally slide into a role with some kind of experience. Needless to say, we have to consider what Oklahoma is putting around these quarterbacks as well. And it's not just receivers. It's, it's not just running backs, but also at the offensive line, there's, we're going to get to this, Matt, because one of the biggest things um, that I, I think doesn't go talked about very often is the exchange from center to the quarterback. Oklahoma's losing their center. And there are some questions there as Spencer Rattler is obviously going to be receiving the ball from a new starting center on this offensive line. What does that look like? Does it hinder this team for a little bit? Do we see them go run heavy early on and then develop the pass as time goes on? There's just a lot of variables and things that can play out throughout the first several weeks of the season until that chemistry has been completely solidified and bonded. But when I look at these offensive players, Matt, and I look at what Oklahoma's putting around the quarterbacks, I have to lean I mean, a, a lot into what a guy like Hayes, the recruit, the tight end that you're talking about, what Hayes has been saying. Oklahoma, sure, number one recruiting class in the 2023 cycle, but Oklahoma's not done. Right. They're going to add a lot of players, and we're not talking just 2023. We can also talk 2022. While all eyes are focused on 2023 for what seems to be the time and where Oklahoma is positionally, the 2022 cycle can't be forgotten, even though there's a lot of excitement around 2023. So I do believe, again, what, what Hayes is saying, there's a lot to come, and Oklahoma is making a run at, at a lot of these top 50 recruits. Yeah, and you know, you said we'll get into fall camp because Lincoln Riley had some interesting things to say about the, particularly the center position uh, as camp was opening up, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, th- th- I guess the moving on, Moving on to the next big story, it would be Oklahoma and Texas bolting to go to the SEC. And that's, I mean, I don't, just give me your general thoughts before we jump into this full bear. Are you, what, not what surprised. was your reaction to that? Not surprised? Not, not surprised. Matt, for so long, I feel as though Bob Bowlesby and the Big 12 have made promises which have kept the Big 12 intact. Mm-hmm. The thing that, that wasn't working out so, so well for a guy like Bob Bowles being the big 12 was actually delivering on those promises. How many times had we heard talks of conference expansion? How many times had we heard talks of delivering a big 12 network of sorts? None of those things were ever delivered. And at the end of the day, we know that money reigns supreme and the way to obtain money is through expanding the conference. And these are just surface level things, expanding the conference and coming up with a conference network of sorts that can be delivered to a subscriber or a pay-per-view type subscription. Needless to say, as I've already mentioned, those things didn't come to fruition. So I can't say that I'm surprised by the move. Did I think it would be the SEC? I can't 100% and confidently say yes, but I felt as though Oklahoma and Texas being the two major players here in in this region had a lot of sway and had a lot of say in what would happen with the Big 12. And because looking back and looking at the track record, that's why I've come to the conclusion of not surprised. And really, Matt, I I wanted to follow up with the the same question to you, because I know that you have removed yourself 
from a lot of the pop culture that's going on here within the United States. And so hearing these things, I think it's a little bit harder for you because you're not constantly being delivered this news outside of social media. Whereas for myself, I can turn a TV on to ESPN and I can listen to it and I can hear what they're saying about regionally what's going on within the big 12 and what the expectations are. So how did that hit you? I mean, I was, I think I was surprised more by the timing of it than I was anything else for it to happen so far out of this, uh, the, the current contract. And, and we know why now we know why the timing is what it is. And it's kind of funny because you know, Texas A&M threw such a fit over this situation and they, <laughs> they, and they released the information ahead of time. And I, I feel like they released information ahead of time in an effort to try to squelch this somehow to make it not happen. But really what they may have done by getting this information out is they may have sped the process up where earlier you were looking at Oklahoma and Texas jumping into the SEC somewhere around the 24, 25, 2025. Uh -huh. Yeah. Now you're looking at potentially them jumping into the SEC as early as 2022. And that's because of Texas A&M letting the cat out of the bag. I think Oklahoma and Texas both went, they were, they were more than content to ride this thing out to the end of the current contract. And, and which makes stuff like, look, if I, if I'm an Oklahoma state alum or I'm a member of the board of regents, I, I think I'm going to have a conversation with the president and ask her, could you please delete Twitter from your account? Because you're making every single one of us look bad. And the, the way people react into this as if Oklahoma somehow betrayed them and stuck a knife in their back. Excuse me. What does, does Oklahoma owe Oklahoma state a phone call to get their permission to join the sec. There's nowhere on earth that that conversation or that obligation even holds merit. Richard, if you remember back, I mean, cause look, they're, they're, the, the big push now from Oklahoma State is, well, they're our friends. They're our conference brothers, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, they're not. Do you know how many Gator fans there were in Stillwater, Oklahoma, last December when the Sooners were playing Florida in the Cotton Bowl? Are you kidding me? The, 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 two, be the two best teams for Oklahoma State fans are the Cowboys and whoever's playing Oklahoma. So for them to jump in now and say, oh, yeah, we've always had a cordial relationship. They're our favorite team. They're from our home state. And I can't believe they're doing this to us. No, you can't believe you're losing dollars. That's what this comes down to. This is not a, a, a we respect Oklahoma and we want Oklahoma to stay in our conference. This is we're going from $40 million a year to $9 million a year without Oklahoma and Texas in this conference. And I'm sorry, but th that has been my, the way people have reacted to this as if the, and, and let's throw Texas out for just a second, because Texas has not been the banner of the big 12. They don't carry that banner. Oklahoma does. And for all of these teams, instead of saying, thank you, Oklahoma, for helping us be relevant for the last 20 years. They're like trying to throw OU under the bus. And then, and then you got the muscle flex. Oh, we can do this without you. We don't need Oklahoma. We're going to move forward and we're going to make Oklahoma State athletics something special. No, you're not. I'm sorry. You're not. It's just, it's just not going to happen. You can't survive 
in the current format that you're in. You, the, uh, if you look at the message boards, you know, listen to what people are saying. Oh, we'll get it. We'll get Alabama to come and we'll get Oregon to come. Yeah. They're on your schedule for 2025 and 2026, but you're telling me you're going to, you're going to replace the revenue of Bedlam on a yearly basis by having Alabama and Oregon in 2025 and 2026 or whenever that happens, Oklahoma state's in a lot of trouble. And instead of acknowledging what Oklahoma means to this conference, everyone's making Oklahoma the bad guy. When reality is you've already said it, Rich, where does the blame come from all this? The bad guy is Bob Bowlesby. This conference is mismanaged. There's so many ways you can look back to me. There's two there's two things, there's two marks on this that you, you could say th this was the beginning of the end for the Big 12. Number one is when they took West Virginia and didn't take anybody else. You have this big gap after the 2010 season, Nebraska leaves, Missouri leaves, you know, uh, you know all, these, all these things happen and you get West Virginia to come in, but you totally missed the boat on Louisville. You totally missed the boat on Cincinnati. You totally missed the boat on Houston. You totally missed the boat on BYU. You never added anybody else in there. And you've got like, you've got nine teams that are regionally located within, you know, proximity and then West Virginia. It just never made sense. The Big 12 could have had the biggest footprint in the nation as far as college athletic conferences go. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't get Memphis. They wouldn't get Louisville. They wouldn't get Cincinnati. They wouldn't get a bridge between Ames, Iowa, and Morgantown, West Virginia. And so there's one big mistake. But you, and you know this, Rich. You're going to agree with this. The, the, the biggest mistake that the Big 12 made, the, the biggest picture of mismanagement from this conference was one true champion. And that whole debacle, right? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Man, you, I, I thought you would have led with that one. But well, here, I mean, here we are putting it second. No, but I mean, I'm just saying you, you made you made a geographical mistake in the foundation of your conference, and then you made an erroneous mistake that cost millions of dollars. Oklahoma doesn't have to be the only team from the Big 12 conference to have made an appearance in the college football playoff. All you got to do is say TCU is our conference champion or Baylor is our conference champion. But the conference never did that. And because the conference wouldn't do that, because the conference would not declare one true champion in a year where they promoted, hey, everyone's going to play round robin. We don't need a conference tournament or conference championship because we'll have one true champion. The playoff committee is like, hey, just give us a name. Can you give us a name? Oh, well, it's Baylor and TCU. No, but we need one name. If you give us one name, we'll get them in the playoff. Well, it's Baylor and TCU. And that, that was it. I think at that point, Oklahoma and Texas were like, this is a joke. And I, th this is, people act like this is a, a recent thing. And yes, Joe, Joe Casiglione, Lincoln Riley, they're all mad about this Nebraska being an 11, uh, 11 a.m. kickoff on the 50th anniversary of the game of the century. They've had recruits call and say, look, I can't, I can't get there. I physically can't get there for an 11 a.m. kickoff. And so they're, they're upset about stuff like that. But that was not what sparked all this to happen. This, this, this has been in place well before those conversations started about the Nebraska kickoff. And I think the Nebraska kickoff is more of an evidence of this is why we made this decision, not the reason why we made this decision. It, it goes back again. Sorry. You never got anybody to, to be a natural rival to West Virginia. You, you got this long gap of, of no one watching your conference between Ames, Iowa, and Morgantown, West Virginia. And then you, you literally refused to put a team in the playoffs because you didn't want to offend either Baylor or TCU, two of the smallest fan bases in the Big 12.
two quick things for me, Matt, is, is yeah, that was a I, long time. Sorry, I went on a long rant. There. You're good. You're good. I see a lot of the symptoms, and it's very easy to point out the symptoms and to begin to treat said symptoms when really what the Big 12 needs is to treat the cause of all the symptoms. And we've already stated what that is. We've already stated our beliefs on how things have been handled here in the Big 12 and really when that started, which was that approximate six years, six plus years ago now. Needless to say, I I wanted to get your quick take on this and kind of bring this full circle because you've mentioned Oklahoma being in a TV contract Mm -hmm. up until 2025. I know that not only has Oklahoma as well as Texas, I know West Virginia was in on some of those initial announcements saying that they were not going to renew their contracts, their TV contracts for the foreseeable future. Um, And they would sign new ones, which ultimately is that that indicator that we're not going to be a member of this conference anymore. And we are shopping ourselves out elsewhere. West Virginia needs to get back to their country roads and play some of these teams that are a little bit closer to home. I can completely agree with that. But on a realistic level, that realistically, you've also mentioned a second date. So which one 2023 2022, 2025, I I don't care what that year is, but do you really realistically believe that the Big 12 will dissolve before those TV contracts come up? Man, because I have lots of thoughts on this. Um, It's just a yes or no question. Well, it's not that simple. (laughs) First of all, I don't think the Big 12 is going to dissolve. I I think there's a chance at this point. They'll change their name. No, I, I think there's a chance for the Big 12 to save itself without Oklahoma and Texas. And, and I'll talk about that here in just a minute. But I, I do think we see Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC before 2025. If I had to guess on it, I would say 2023. I think some things are it's too late. It's too late now to do a lot because you're on the cusp of the season and athletic directors are moving and money is already flowing. And you really don't want to get into conversations that are going to affect this season any more than they already have that's why west virginia said you know what we're just going to pause right now on um on on saying we're going to just jump in here on the next grant of rights contract with the big 12 because we do want to we do want to you know look at all of our options and you got to at least give west virginia credit because they're the only team or the only university that has openly said that why all the other eight of seven others uh, are are thinking it you know we we know we know kansas is talking to the big 10 we know oklahoma state texas tech tcu are talking to the pac-12 we know that baylor's trying to get anybody to answer their phone call you know some things are happening but west virginia is the only one to at least publicly say mm-hmm. we're, we're pausing on this for right now which which is i want to just make a quick quick note here about baylor and most of the discussion, when people think about sports, they don't think of the whole package. They think of the big money makers, mm-hmm. which is football. But when it comes to Baylor, it's hard to see uh, a conference like the Pac-12 not showing some kind of interest because we do have to remember this is the NCAA men's champion, national championship basketball team, Matt. No, and but you're shaking your head no as if nobody wants that. Nobody wants them. I'm telling you, I'm I'm not. I, it's not as if I'm telling you. That's the nobody wants Baylor. They don't fit. It, it's that Baylor's going to have to go independent, or they're going to have to go down. I mean, that that's that's just the, the way it is right now. It could change, but Baylor's going to have to be packaged with somebody. 
Baylor's going to have to say, ah, we can get uh, we can get Houston and TCU and Texas Tech all together and give you this package deal. But on their own merit, nobody wants Baylor. I'm just saying it's, it's that's the way it is. TCU has the same problem. Texas Tech is a little bit mark a little bit more marketable to the Pac-12 because of how far west they are. And I hate to bring politics into sports, but they're a liberal university, and so they they match that that footprint of the Pac-12. But Baylor, Baylor's, Baylor's, yeah, they're national champions in basketball, but football drives the, I mean, how many, how many people are going to get all excited about watching Stanford and Baylor, you know, and just say it's not a marketable thing at this point, unless they can package. Um, I think 2023 is probably a good time frame. I, I think what, what you can do is you can go through the 2021 season in the 2021 off season, you can really start seeing things be put together. You have the kind of the farewell tour in 2022, and then the everything changes in 2023. There, there's a couple of thoughts here though that I also want to throw in on this is that we we can't you can't overlook what the LOI does to this the uh, uh, the the uh, the you know name image and likeness that that's happening out here but players getting paid i mean it, it, when this when that went through they, they knew everybody knew this was coming credit oklahoma and texas for being the two schools in the big 12 who figured out a way to maximize it you know what i'm saying Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody knew this was going to get passed. Everybody knew. It, I mean, all of it, you're you're telling me that Spencer Rattler has a shoe design that comes out right after this. He he can work that fast while he's training to play college football. No, he knew it was coming, and he got everything in order so that when it does come, boom, here it is. He he knew it was coming, or this is what we're saying the university has been doing behind the curtain, behind the scenes. No, I mean, working since- with working with their players. And and Matt, the only reason I bring it up is because we talked about how good Oklahoma has been, how good their creative team, if you will, Mm -hmm. has been in creating brands for these individuals. And that's day one. That's as soon as that LOI comes in. Now they all of a sudden have a, a logo that goes with their name, something that may go behind it. They've got a video with it as well. I mean, this, this staff has been excellent in finding creatives who fit, not just fit what they want to do, but are able to push the envelope a little bit further out each year in creating what is a marketable name for these individuals for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and everybody saw it. I mean, Lincoln Riley knew it was happening. The University of Oklahoma knew it was happening, and the players knew it was happening. And how do you, how do you, this, this is going to affect recruiting because now if you're oh, a yeah. star, if you're a star recruit, you want to go to a university that can place you in the NFL that can better you in your position, but also get you paid the most money possible while you're in college. Right? So what better way to get paid while in college than to be the the biggest star on the, one of the best teams in the biggest conference in the history of college football. And what we're beginning to see, I believe is you're beginning to see the first wave of a move away from the NCAA where college football, because money drives everything, college football is going to move to a body that will govern itself. 
and it'll be absent of the NCAA. I, I think in our lifetime, well within our lifetime, probably by the time we reach 20, what is it, 2021 now, maybe even by as soon as 2030, we're going to see college football become so big that it is no longer governed by the NCAA. And this is a first step to make something like that happen. And so the sooner, the better, when you're talking about your timeline, does it happen to 2025? Here, here's the way this ends for, for, the, for Oklahoma. This is a good way for this to end. There, and, it, and it's all about the future of the Big 12. There's one or two ways out of here, okay? Well, there's really three ways. The first way is this. For Oklahoma and Texas, just to pony up cash and say, here, we're buying out. You know, here's $50 million. We're moving. And that there's already been the road paved for this because ESPN just happens to owe the University of Texas $50 million. Mm-hmm. Coincidence? I think not. Right? And, and that brings up a second subpoint in that Texas can't go to the SEC without Oklahoma. And the reason you know this is because Texas is saying to Oklahoma, yeah, we'll cover the bill. So when you're covering the bill, I mean, you're a guy who just got married, Rich. When you're covering the bill, you're courting somebody. When you're covering the bill, you're saying, I'm interested in you. When you're covering the bill, you're the one who really has the desire or the need. And Oklahoma's like, yeah, okay, you pay for us to move to the SEC and we'll go with you. That's option one. Option two is that the Big 12 just dissolves. Unfortunately, what's happened for a lot of the Big 12 schools is they've learned exactly what their value is absent of Oklahoma and Texas. Oklahoma State, case in point. The Cowboys, I'm not saying they're dead with their move to the Pac-12, but they thought they thought that, hey, we'll call the Pac-12 and boom, we're in because the Pac-12 wanted Oklahoma State in 2010. So they call the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 is like, yeah, you know, back then you were going to come with Oklahoma and we need some time to think about this. So schools are starting to see what really what their value is, except for West Virginia. West Virginia has legitimate street cred with the ACC. And the Mountaineers could easily jump to the ACC. What Oklahoma and Texas, what they really need is for one more domino to fall. Because if one more domino falls, then everything collapses. So if, if West Virginia can move to the ACC and say, you know what, we want out as well, and then the Pac-12 takes somebody or the Big Ten takes Kansas, and this thing just dissolves, and that contract becomes null and void. So that's, that's the second way. And then the third way is what I think is really the best option for the Big 12. And I'm not joking about this. I really feel, feel like this is the best option for the Big 12 conference is that the Big 12 absorbs the American conference. You go and get the AAC. You, you bring in Tulsa. You bring in Memphis. You bring in Central Florida. You bring in Houston. You're, you can, you're, you're looking at a payout that's going to be for 2021 in the neighborhood of $40 million. And then you're looking at projected payouts without Oklahoma and Texas to be around the 9 to $15 million range. So what you've got to do is, if you're Bob Bullsby, you've got to find a way. How can I make up? You're not going to get back to 40 million. It's not going to happen. But how can I get back to 25 to 30 million? And the way you can do that is by putting Tulsa in your conference. 
putting Houston in your conference, putting Memphis in your conference, putting Central Florida in your conference, bringing Cincinnati in your conference, uh, bring in kind of the meat, the best, of, the best of the AAC, and then let the American conference go fend for itself. And if, if the Big 12 does that, I think they can hold most everybody together that core. I think West Virginia is gone. I, I really do. If you made me bet on it, West Virginia is going to go to the ACC. But I think Iowa State, Kansas State, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, they can all stay together and they can form a very competitive conference that would probably keep them at a power five level. That's their best option. But any three of those things could move Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC prior to 2025 and again option three in my opinion is is the best way for the big 12 to go but that also means it's probably not the way they're going to do it because the big 12 in common sense hasn't really been a thing in the last 15 years when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we're going to move on to uh, true or false, and and that's going to kind of continue this conversation. Um, but before we before we get into true or false, I, I need to ask you because I I shared briefly my opinion on how Oklahoma State was acting over this deal, but I, I just want to throw this out at you, Rich. Does it matter? Should it matter to Oklahoma? Not I'm not talking about the fans because that's a whole thing for Twitter. But when you talk about the university, you talk about the administration. Should they care what Oklahoma State thinks about this? No, I, I don't, I don't think it matters. And I don't think anybody should care in the same breath. And the reasoning for me, Matt, is that at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for your university, mm-hmm. what's best for your student athletes, and what's best for the entire, not, not just the university, but the individuals who make up the university. And so what's going to be best for them is the only thing in the long run that should count. And when we begin to start listening to these outside voices, when we begin to allow these influences from, from a completely different perspective that have no ideas what's happening internally begin to affect and change and direct the, the decisions that are being made, it's usually when you get in trouble. So when it comes to the University of Oklahoma and when it comes to the decision makers, regardless of if, if that's sports, academics, whatever it may be with inside of the university, I don't really, I don't really put a lot of weight in outside influences and voices for that reason. Okay, fair enough. So true or false, um, five questions, getting your opinion. So let me tell you how I, how I did this. Um, in our little <laughs> hiatus... Uh, I went to social media and I said, Hey, give me can, your pro. Go ahead. What? As I say, can I pause you? Because I, I don't know why I just thought of this. When, when we're talking about these outside influences and these outside voices, you know how many people tweet things about how Lincoln Riley should coach a football game throughout, throughout just one session, one, we'll talk about just one quarter mm-hmm. even. 
we can talk about the number of plays that are drawn up, the number of calls, and whether people agree with those or not, they're more than happy to share their opinion on social media. It would be like Lincoln Riley at halftime <laughs> going to social media and taking taking these armchair quarterbacks, as they've been called, taking their perspective and how the game should go and completely rewriting what he was doing, completely rewriting his game plan and then enacting it. Do you, do you think that would go go well? I don't know. But it's not just football. I mean, go think right. back to the to June in the Women's College World Series, and how many people were? I mean, they weren't just criticizing; they were mad at Patty Gasso because they mm. lost the game. Are you kidding me? But won the World Series. She won the World Series, oh. but in that moment, she's a terrible coach because she right, lost right. to James Madison. Oh, you mm -hmm. got to be kidding me! But anyway, that's that's the social media world that we live in. Right, and, I and went, that's that's driving the point that I'm making. It's driving it home for me. There's, went, there's not a better illustration that I could think of. So I went to said social media world <laughs> and I was like, Hey, um, give me some pros and cons of Oklahoma moving to the sec. And so from that, I was able to pull out, I think pr five pretty decent, um, pretty decent true or false questions. All right. So are you ready for this? Yeah. All right, here we go. Number one, true or false. Oklahoma moving to the SEC automatically means there will be more respect for the program. Man, I've got to go with a true on that one. And it's not necessarily a respect for Oklahoma, but Matt, when we talk about college football in general terms, it never fails that the SEC comes into conversation. It comes into play and it's largely because of the top dogs of the SEC, the Alabamas, and what they've consistently fielded because of how Georgia has come up as a challenger and is doing things that I don't know we expected them to do at this current point in time. It's the surprise performances, performances, performances out of players like, or I say players, meaning on the grand scheme, they're a player in a game. Needless to say, players like Texas A&M, who's come a long, long way this season, Warranted or not, I think they're being given respect. And more specifically, Matt, they're being given respect by the individuals that respect matters from, aka the college football playoff committee. Because in the grand scheme of things, when players take the field for the first time, when they sign that LOI even, their hopes is not just to win a conference championship. I get that step number one but it's to play in the college football playoff and ultimately to win a national championship. And when you look at these top tier recruits, where are they going? They're going to schools that are consistently competing or they have some kind of tie, some kind of history with that school because of a family member. And so they're picking one that's a little more off the wall than what you would have expected. But for, for a majority of recruits, those five stars are picking Ohio state. They're picking Oklahoma, they're picking Clemson, they're picking Alabama. And it seems to that that the talent consistently flows in those general directions. And so when you look at the SEC, Georgia's now competing and stealing those five stars from some of these other names. I think Florida State is maybe on the verge of doing some of that as well. When we look at Texas A&M, it seems like they're starting to creep in. When we look at programs like Florida, but again, Matt, the, the one constant here is that a lot of these are SEC programs. And so when you look at the SEC and you look at the respect, 
I'm not talking from a fan's perspective. I'm talking from college football playoff rankings perspective. I'm talking about from recruiting perspective. And the more eyeballs that you have on you as a recruit, the better your chances are of getting into the NFL. Again, accomplishing one of the goals that you set out from day one. Here's where I'm going to disagree with you. While, while everything you said has merit, it, the good news for Oklahoma is that they're coming into the SEC as the better respected of the two programs between Oklahoma and Texas, but they're going to have to earn it. Oklahoma is going to come into the SEC. Let's say it happens in 2022. They're going to come in as a, you know, as a defending Big 12 champion. Everyone knows about the run that, that Oklahoma's making in the Big 12, and if they win it again this year, which they should, they're going to come into the SEC with everybody saying, yeah, now you're in the SEC. So I think Oklahoma comes in with more to prove where Texas comes in with more to lose. When you look at the comments like Steve Spurrier, uh, people are saying nationally about Texas, hey, they struggled in the Big 12. You might as well come and struggle in the SEC. Texas is going to be the team, I think, that struggles on a respectability level. Oklahoma is going to struggle because they're going to come in with a giant target on their back because they're the best of the teams that are coming in and they're the best that the big 12 has had to offer for 20 years now. And so that's, I, I think it, the Oklahoma will be more respected, but they definitely are going to have a giant target on their back and have a lot to prove. All right, let's go to number two, true or false, regardless of rivalries, traditions, and let's just say, you know, better conferences, the driving force in all of this was not football related. The driving force in all this was money related. Dollar signs made this move. True or false? From from the Big 12 to the SEC? Absolutely. Yeah. Hands down, no questions asked. The revenue share in the SEC, I have to, I haven't looked at numbers, but I have to assume is greater than it is in any conference. And when you look at where that money is going, I, I get what the Big 10 has built. I get what they represent in grants because of the research that is done with inside of that conference. So, so I know a lot of money is going in that general direction, but when it talks about the income versus the output, the SEC reigns supreme. And it's been that way for years. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they are getting those late TV slots, Matt. They are getting the, the higher paid commercials to be played during the breaks of their games. It is just the way that things have been. And that was back during the BCS era as well. When we look at a move and we look at what transpired and what we think is happening behind the scenes with some of the distaste, that's all, uh, that all plays the background to me when it comes, when we're talking about money versus these other factors, right. money will always be number one. And because it allows you to get that step ahead, at least that's how we perceive it. Does it actually do that? I don't really know, but that is my perception is that money lets you get that step ahead as a university versus your competitors because of the facilities that you can provide because of a nutritionist that you can hire, the different things that you're capable of doing with money versus not having it. Money is the driving factor here. Good answer. Not a great explanation, but no, I'm going mean, to take it. It's it, out on it the table. Works for me. All right, number three, um, remember this is based off of pros and cons. So true or false, the, the biggest drawback, our biggest con of, of Oklahoma moving to the SEC is the potential loss of traditions, such as the Bedlam game or other historic rivals that go all the way back to the old big six days. I, I'm going to go with true on that one. 
I, Matt, I think there's other things that haven't even been considered at this point in time. Whereas in the big 12, Oklahoma was expected to be the conference champion. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma is expected to do what's never been done before in this streak of conference championships. And that was no exception to this upcoming year. And when you look at that conference championship, it's almost as if it were an automatic bid or at least consideration into playing for the national championship as Oklahoma moves and Texas moves into the sec, that expectation dissipates a little bit because you are competing with the likes of the Alabama Crimson Tide who have been there, who have done it, who have run this gauntlet before and beaten really good LSU teams, who have beaten good Georgia teams, who have beaten good Florida teams. And then, of course, they have that weird out-of-conference cupcake game in the middle of the season that everyone just tunes out for that week. It's it's kind of like a, a break from football. You can vacate. I, I don't know what people do. We're not in the SEC, but when I look at it, I do see what you're talking about, the rivalries, the traditional rivalries, that have taken place. I can all but assume that the Nebraska game comes off of the table and won't be played for years and years and years to come, especially if the SEC win. I know you're looking at me crazy. Wait, because you said Nebraska. I did say Nebraska. And you're t- that, that was one of those traditional rivalries that Oklahoma was oh, okay. hoping to reinstate this year. No? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, that, that oh, we can throw Oklahoma State in okay. there as well. Right. I don't know that the... The biggest tradition, I don't know that this goes anywhere. I don't know that it stays or that they throw it out the window, but it's the Red River rivalry being played at the Texas State Fair. Yeah, that won't change. Well, there you go. Then I mean, I just not... telling you, I, in my opinion, that's there's they're not going to touch that because there's... they're both if they're both going together and, and mm-hmm. they're going to be in the same pod or the same division. Right. So OU and Texas will play each other every year. But I do see you you mentioned Nebraska, you know, Oklahoma State. Bedlam could be something that, I mean, it could easily transition to something that happens every other year. It could easily transition right. to something that happens once every five years. Right. But, but I'm the, saying the possibility of playing Nebraska completely dissipates. That's well, they're gone. Gonna, they're still going to play Nebraska in 2021. I think then they're still going to go to Nebraska. They're, they're going to, they're going to fill out that contract. I don't think that changes with this. Um, I'm not talking about the current, the current setup, the one and one. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about future wise oh, because like when, never putting Nebraska back on the right. Like, and, I, I and interesting. because Nebraska can't fall in a, especially if they're still in the big 10, they can't fall mid season. That's just right. not going to happen. And now in the sec, you only get two, two warmups. If you will, you get two preseason games. If Oklahoma state takes one of those slots, you're not playing another power five team in my opinion. Well, we do know that the SEC is notorious for that that cream puff weekend. So maybe they'll put Oklahoma State there. <laughs> All right, number number four. Um, a better Oklahoma playing in a better conference means they will automatically be a better team. True or false? That is false. I what? think Oklahoma. Do you I, realize how many people you just made mad? That's okay by me. They're in the I SEC think- now. I think playing in a better conference exposes your weaknesses more than it oh, reveals that you are a you good. How you approach this conversation with level-headedness and clarity? <laughs> than a good team. And Matt, I get what you're saying. I get the joke that you're projecting right now because all the Vanderbilts of, all, of the of world want to claim me, Alabama's say, national championship as their on, own. I get it. Let I get me, it. Let me just interject. These aren't my original thoughts. These are things that came to me on social media. So not that's why there's no names attached to this because we certainly mm. don't want to make anybody 
feel upset or angry or hurt over us. I'm just taking social media comments and throwing them out there to see if you think they're true or false. Yep. That one, like I said, not, it's not working for me. And, right. and the reason that I can confidently say that Matt, um, I've revealed this to you in the past. Maybe you've forgotten. Uh, when I was a kid, we grew up watching Florida football. We gl- grew up watching the Florida Gators. Why? Because that was, that was hometown for us. And so naturally I became a Florida state fan just to make people mad, but we grew up watching Gators football and we've seen the demise of that program and kind of this, this, this rise once again, up until the bowl game of last year, when Oklahoma completely demolished them, but needless to say, just because, just because you play in a good conference does not make you a good football team. Okay. So here we go. Last one. Then this one's for sure. I, I, this is the best one. Um, True or false? Oklahoma will stop losing recruiting battles to Alabama now that they're in the SEC. That's a good question. That's a really good question, actually. That's why I made it the last one. Man. Um, true and false? Yeah, because you're still going <laughs> to, I mean, look, you're still going to lose recruiting battles. I, I think the thing is defensively, I mean, everyone, mm-hmm. everyone gets caught into you know, the Samar Wheaton saga, right? Yeah. And, and losing those two running backs. And, but look, Luke Hayes just, just signed, just committed to Oklahoma and he was trending towards Oklahoma. You and I have talked about him. I wrote an article about him over six weeks ago, well before all this talk kind of blew up that he's coming to the university of Oklahoma. So you're going to win battles and you're going to lose battles. The, I think the thing is, is now that you're in the sec, you hope you start winning some of those battles on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that's kind of the, the root right. of, of where we are. And, and I think that's a, t- a very tall task to do as long as Nick Saban is the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. I don't know how many years he's got left in him. I don't know what his hopes and his dreams are. If winning a, a national championship this past year wasn't enough, will it be enough if they win one this upcoming season for him to finally say, you know what, I, I'm going out on top. And I'm going to retire, but Nick Saban, his, his name alone has quite a bit of pool and it doesn't matter where you're coming from. We've seen Oklahoma in state players commit to places like Michigan or even Alabama. You'll see individuals from California come to Alabama. Why? Because they want to play for the best and they want that recognition. But again, Matt, I I know there's a lot at play there for a recruit and it's not the end all be all just because Nick Saban isn't your head coach. Or is your head coach? Fair enough. Yep, true. Um, okay, so here we go. Final final topic is this. Camp questions. Oklahoma football camp is underway. They're almost a week into it as we're recording this podcast. Three questions, Rich. What are the three things that you want to know uh, about the Sooners as camp the first week begins to wind down? I've got three. You've got three. Knowing how we think, we probably have at least one that are the same. So I'll let you go first, my friend. What's the first thing you want to know yeah, about I'm, this team? I'm just going to go ahead and attack the defense wow. here. And and I'm going to say what I think more than just myself is thinking. And that's what what is this secondary going to look like? Because we've consistently right. criticized the secondary. We've consistently criticized the defensive side of the ball more than we have the offensive side of the ball. And that's dating back since Lincoln Riley has been the head coach of this program. When you look at a guy like Trey Norwood, when you look at a guy like Trey Brown, when you look at a guy and 
love him or hate him, mm-hmm. Brennan Radley Hiles was yeah. still a starter on this defensive unit. And so when we look at these three guys in the, the secondary here, knowing that they now need to be replaced, there's, there's plenty of young talent there, Matt. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of guys who are very capable of stepping in and being quality players. DJ Graham being one of those, Woody Washington being another. Like I said, there's more than a handful of guys who can step in and assume those roles. But I look at just how big of a player Trey Norwood had become in the latter half of the season. I look at the speed that Trey Brown possessed. A guy who could track you down from behind is a very rare thing these days at, at this level. And so when I look at what Oklahoma is losing and what they're replacing them with, I'm not going to count out a guy like Billy Bowman either. There's a lot of talent. It's just unproven. It doesn't have quite the experience as the outgoing names do. So when we look at the secondary as a whole, Matt, I think they're going to benefit greatly from possibly the best pass pass rush in the country. But how do they fare when they're left out on an island consistently by themselves? That's my question. I had the exact, the exact same question. That was my, my number two. And what's crazy about it is I mentioned the exact three guys that you mentioned, Billy Bowman, <laughs> Woody Washington, DJ Graham, because I think those are the three guys who are most likely to take over the, the, the departures of Norwood and Brown and, and Bookie. And, you know, you think that Trey Norwood, first thing that comes to my mind is the pick six in the cotton bowl. Trey Brown became synonymous with game saving plays. Um, you know, you think about the, the game-saving interception in the Big 12 championship. You think about, you mentioned, you know, him running down the, the Baylor guy. I'm blanking off the top of my head who it was, uh, running him down from behind in the Big 12 championship. The interception uh, against the Texas Longhorns in the fourth overtime. Those are the type of things that Oklahoma has to replace when you talk about these two guys. And you said, love him or hate him, Buki, Brandon Riley hiles he's playing for Washington now. And some people look at that and think, well, he's Washington's problem, right? And and I get that. I, I totally can get on board with that and, and not argue that point with you. But at least we need to recognize that he was the quarterback of the defense, of that secondary. It was his job to do all the pre-snap checks. It was his job to make sure people were lined up right and knew their assignments. Are, are we going to let a freshman do that? Is Billy Bowman going to take that over? You know, there's just there's a lot of things there that are questions in this secondary, and I think uh, you and I both are on the same page there. So I'm going to go to I'm going to scratch that off, and that would say that was my number one um, because we're the same. So my next one then is going to be at the quarterback position. I've already got an article up about this at Heartland Sports, but Lincoln Riley said that when they ended the spring, Caleb Williams was number two on the depth chart. And they're going to start that way in some, in fall camp, which is okay. But does that mean Micah Bowens has no chance to be number two and Micah Bowens is really battling for number three? This is the first time that I can remember since Baker Mayfield that Lincoln Riley's not had a quarterback competition for the starting job going into camp. The quarterback competition is for number two or number three on that depth chart. But none of that changes the fact that if something significant happened to Spencer Rattler, your most experienced quarterback right now on your roster is Tanner Schaefer. And no, no disrespect to Tanner Schaefer, but I think Lee Ryan has got to get this right. Where Caleb Williams may be the future of this program, I 100% believe he is. A guy like Micah Bowens may be the best option in a situation like that. I'm just 
that, that, that's my question. Not, not who's going to start at quarterback, but what's the order of the guys mm-hmm. that, and, and there's always the order of the guys that are on paper. And then there's the order of the guys that are in real life. We know all three of those names are going to play. We know all three of those names are going to take snaps. And we know all three of those names are going to throw the ball. The question, when we look at the quarterbacks, the question for me has always been, will a guy like Williams only play four games this season? Right. Regardless of where he's listed on the depth chart, Mm -hmm. will they limit him to the four games this season? Or will they say, will Lincoln Riley say, we're only getting him for three years anyway. So we're going to use him as much as possible. And that's what the difference maker is for me. And it's not to say that Bowens isn't a quality quarterback, because I think he's going to surprise some people with his athleticism. It's just to say that Rattler and Williams are in a a category all of their own, Mm -hmm. that Bowens isn't quite in at this point in time. Matt, the second second thing for me, I'm going to give you number two, and number three, the second thing for me is, is looking at the offensive line. Oklahoma is replacing a handful of guys. There is going to be a shuffle there, but I don't think there's any bigger hole that's being left than the one from Creed Humphrey. Right. When we've, I know we've, we've touched just a little bit at the beginning of this podcast about the most important exchange in the entire game being from the quarter or excuse me, from the center to the quarterback without a guy like Creed Humphrey in there, without the experience, without the tenacity that he possessed, not only was he knowledgeable and knew what was going on with the defense and could point things out that he knew based upon shifts, based upon the way guys were lining up, Oklahoma's losing that now. Mm -hmm. They're losing the tone setter in terms of, Matt, you've used the term nasty. They're losing that guy that really set the tone for them. And while there's a guy like Andrew Rame, who I know was very highly praised coming out of the spring, there's also a guy like, like Chris Murray, Ian McIver. There's several names that could easily take snaps and without a, a clear cut starter, my curiosities have begun to wonder around this offensive line, the makeup of it. And when I want to harken back just the last season and say, was the offensive line as bad as we thought they were, or did we forgive them when Ramondre Stevenson stepped onto the scene because of the experience, the patience, and just the physical attributes that he had were able to overcome some of the inadequacies of the offensive line. Oklahoma, sure, they get two quality running backs as one and two, one A, one B, on this depth chart who could very easily do the same things that Ramondre Stevenson did in order to cover up some of these insufficiencies that may exist in the offensive line. But the questions about the offensive line, their cohesiveness, as well as who's going to be making that exchange with Spencer Rattler Mm -hmm. are question marks and reasons for concern for me moving into the fall. So here throughout the fall, it'll be interesting to me specifically, not only to see who wins that job, but to see how consistent they are and if they can be that tone setter and if they can be the ones you said the the quarterback of the defense, can they be the quarterback of this offensive line? Yeah, you know, Lincoln Riley mentioned multiple guys and a lot of the people have talked about Andrew Rame. I'm high on Andrew Rame, but a lot of people are talking about Chris Murray as well. And uh, he was the first person that Lincoln Riley mentioned when it came to the center position. In fact, I got his quote right here in front of me. Uh, I'll just read the back half of the quote. He said, uh, we're going to look at Chris Murray there. He did some nice things in the spring. 
We'll look at Andrew Rame there. We're going to look at Ian McCarver, Nate Anderson, and we're going to look at Robert Congle. And then he goes on to say, we're going to look at several of those guys and see where we stand. To me, I think it's going to come down to either Chris Murray or Andrew Rame. But you're right. That's the most vital position battle on the offensive side of the ball, in my opinion, is at the center position. What you got for number three? Number three for me is um, a conversation about the receivers. And when we look at what Oklahoma has, there was very clearly an individual, a true freshman, Marvin Mims, who separated himself from the rest of the pack. I think Mm -hmm. later on in the season, we saw Theo Weiss start to emerge, but I do have questions about Austin Stogner and his health. How healthy can he be throughout the season? Charleston Rambo is gone. And then there's Drake Stoops, Jeremiah Hall. Those are your top six receivers on this team from last year not including running backs, your top six receivers right there. Of course, you're getting all of those back except for Charleston Rambo. How does this depth chart shake out? Are there guys, some of these younger guys who can insert themselves in the equation and have seasons like Marvin Mims? What we do know is Oklahoma is going to throw the ball. What we do know is that Spencer Rattler has been spectacular when he's on the run and extending plays and connecting with his receivers Without that experience, without that knowledge, will these younger receivers be able to pick up some of the slack that we expected Oklahoma to to be able to carry in, not slack, but momentum into this past season? And will they emerge as very productive guys who ultimately make defenses pay when they collapse or when there's a miscommunication and the rotations don't work out like they have. And we've seen on numerous, numerous occasions, Matt from Oklahoma as well. So again, I'm looking for that, that Marvin Mims compliment. Who's Mm -hmm. that going to be? And how's this, this rotation, how's this depth chart going to shake out? I have the answer part, partly that to you. Here's my top five receivers for Oklahoma. Cause that was my number three as well. My <clears> top five receivers for Oklahoma going into camp, not in any particular order. These are just the five guys I would want on the field. If I'm running a five, if I'm going a five wide set, here's what I'm putting out there. Marvin Nimmons, Jason Hayes, Jaden Hazelwood, Theo Weiss, Drake Stoops, and Austin Stogner. Now you mentioned Trajan Bridges is gone. You mentioned Charleston Rambo is gone. But one thing you didn't mention is the addition of Mike Woods from the University of Arkansas. And this dude's going to be a star. He's going to be on the field. He's going to make big plays. And then also Mario Williams has been a highlight factory Mm -hmm. since he got on campus in the spring. And now in the fall, Mario Williams has the potential to be what Marvin Mims was last year, that guy who just kind of comes as a true freshman and lights up opposing defenses because you've seen that we've all seen the potential and the athleticism of Jaden Hazelwood. We saw Marvin Mims last season have his breakout. We know that Drake Stoops is that clutch guy. Austin Stogner has the potential that, that so much so that he's on the Mackey Award watch list. What do you do about Mario Williams? Because he's the freshman. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, who, who's going to get with the way I look at this right now is who's going to get the least amount of attention. And it's going to be Mario Williams, but I'm, there's going to be playmakers galore to me is not a question of how do they have enough to me? The question is how are you going to get them all on the field? How's this rotation going to work out? So uh, there's going to be, like I said, there's going to be some five wide sets and I didn't even include the H back like Jeremiah hall and so forth. Um, so there's going to be five wide sets and it's going to be interesting and quite fun. I think to see how this all plays out 
So we're back. Uh, we took the month of July off. Uh, Rich got married. I traveled the world, so to speak. Uh, but we're back and we'll be uh, recording regularly leading up to the season. And then we'll get back into our game preview podcast uh, before the Tulane game. Uh, you can find us every day on the internet, heartland-sports.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Heartland Sports on Twitter. Let us know where you agree or disagree. Let us know uh, how you would answer those true or false questions. Have a great week into your weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Boomer Sooner, everybody.